Hello, and welcome to The Quantum Divide. This is the podcast that talks about the literal divide between classical IT and quantum technology, and the fact that these two domains need to become closer together. Quantum networking actually is more futuristic than perhaps the computing element of it, but we're going to try and focus on that domain. But we're bound to experience many different tangents, both in podcast topics and conversation as we go on. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to the Quantum Divide. It's been a while, there's been a bit of a gap uh, whilst we've been collecting ourselves and preparing for the next few episodes. This time uh, I've got a really interesting guest. We're going to have a bit of a focus on more of a, a business kind of implementation approach, look at what's happening with enterprises in, across the globe that are looking at bringing quantum technologies into their operations, into their R&D and strategy and so on. So I'm very happy to uh, be joined here with uh, Shreyas from Accenture. He's the global lead of next-gen computing in the technology incubation team. Welcome, Shreyas. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. This is awesome. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks Thanks very much. So look, I'm looking forward to this conversation. It's going to be a little bit different to some of the previous podcasts. And it just worked well for me to drop in different types of perspectives. So this is a new one for us from the world of consulting and so on. Let me just start with the classic question that I have to ask at the beginning of every conversation is what's your path into quantum? Give us a bit of an introduction. How would you like to, what would you like to say for us to get to know you? Yeah, wonderful. Look, quantum is a paradigm shifting technology and, and to treat it otherwise is to misjudge its potential. Becoming for us or for any one of the organizations that we can solve, becoming quantum ready requires a complex combination of talent, technology, and planning. And we've been at it since the mid-2010s and exploring quantum methods, um, applying techniques to practical real-world applications on, on all sorts of cutting-edge software development and implementation on today's noisy intermediate-scale quantum NISC hardware. Sounds like a mouthful. And we're providing several services through this journey. Everything from experimentation to strategy, through R&D to talent and organization and security. Where shall we start together? Yeah, so why don't we have a look at the quantum strategy, first of all, of Accenture at a high level? Because as you described there, of course, Accenture is a broad organization. Of course, you're well known to be the organization to help companies build their strategy. But of course, your delivery and implementation and operations function, as far as I understand, is even bigger. And that's why the size of the company is so big. What, what, what's the high-level strategy for quantum? And how, how does it fit into next-gen computing as a whole? So we have an offering known as Quantum Foundry. Quantum Foundry provides an overall framework of talent, execution capabilities, technologies, ecosystem partnership assets and methods to support the ability to drive quantum initiatives to scale and drive business value. Some of the things that we do in it, it combines the strategy definition, which agile test and learn implementations, and it winds up reducing delivery durations and it outcomes, and it delivers outcomes, not just propositions. It has the ability to quickly ramp down and ramp up to meet any demands. So if you were to consider a series of sine waves, <laughs> I always start with this because beautiful, Quantum computing, what quantum computing can't do without sine waves. We start with the first sign of the trough to, to talk about how do you initialize 
any sort of experimentation, researching. We explore through the various different use cases that's relevant for these, for a business, for an organization, with partners at the center of how do we get the best technology suited for you. And finally, through whatever understandings that we've had through research and understanding through what the technology is capable of it, we got start to getting to developing these real use cases that delivers business value with the hopes that we might one day use that technology in a scaled proposition. Now, all of this won't be possible without actually knowing what it is that you're driving towards, what the North Star is, and our strategy teams provide both a tactical as well as a future forward-looking perspective into what are those problems? How can we solve it? How do I get my organization ready? What is the appropriate sourcing that is right and crucial with all the capabilities that is provided by any talent-oriented technology that's out there to enable the right skills for the right roles? That means the partnering through academia or partnerships through vendors or through recruiting. There's technologies like Plural Sites that uses AI to find the right skills within the scarce market that we're in. That's just to give you a brief perspective into what is the overarching strategy. And quantum is huge. So you apply this through computing, sensing, communications, security. Okay, thank you. Was there a platform in there? It sounds like you described that there was some kind of platform. Or is it more of a service-orientated approach? You're right. So it's very service. And there is a platform. There is a technology at, to enable whatever business proposition that may exist for our, for our clients. The platforms could vary. It could be leveraging a Strangeworks platform. It could be on the IBM Q system. It could be on the Quantinium's hardware through its platform. And the other platforms that we are very well and very comfortable with, whether it's Azure Quantum or AWS Brackhead. Okay. Okay, understood. Thank you. Listen, I'm intrigued. I don't get to talk to very, very many Accenture consultants, which is ironic having worked with you guys for a while. But I'm intrigued to know about the process. Do you have a structure that you follow when it comes to advisory and then identifying what's relevant for the customer, helping them execute it? How do you measure that going, going forward? You must have some kind of grand scheme that everybody follows internally, but I'm sure they, everybody <laughs> takes their own path, right? <laughs> but give us a snapshot of that. You're right. And there's a methodology. Every madness, every chaos has a certain amount of methodology within, within what we do. I'll start by saying our vision for this journey is to be vendor agnostic, to be business problem focused, and leveraging its ecosystem. So you want to identify the appropriate business problem. Well, enterprise use cases exist across nearly every vertical. Both vendors and Accenture quantum teams are ready to deliver these very specific use cases across this industry that delivers value. To give you an example, when in the case of financial services, you, know, you talk about what is currency arbitrage. We, as we go by that as just an example and start to identify what are the potential key business benefits or relevance in the marketplace for that client. And we had tried to assess what is the potential importance of it. 
money is at the center of everything. So what is the potential disruption impact or potential revenue impact in the future and when it could be realized? With that, we try to understand very specifically what are some of those classifications, right? So with this business problem, you have to then assess it to what is the problem classification or the computational problems that you can essentially use to solve it. Think about it as the best way to align it is if you have mathematical primitives that you can align it with, whether it's these mathematical primitives that you have to create from fresh or custom created. You gotta be architecturally sound, algorithmically unique, and it has to be quantum runnable in some way, shape or form, what's being modeled. And so we talk about it in terms of how do you go about modeling it? What are the complexity factors? What are the different uh, algorithmic implementation considerations? And what are those quantum computational approaches? And finally, with that, we want to start with the best-in-class quantum hardware. Whether you're selecting it classically, quantum-inspired or physics-inspired, or finding a way to do a hybrid quantum in this NISC era leveraging the best of tools across the board. So that's, in essence, how we go about in our vision and our methodology for these quantum computing-based problems. Business problem, problem classification, hardware. You find the appropriate mapping with all of that, and it would work for you. Cool. Yes. There's a lot of different tools available to you on the market, right? This is the thing. I expect it's a highly tailored solution every time. Listen, when it comes to where we are in terms of the technology, okay, we know there's lots of different modalities. No doubt. Yeah. You mentioned multiple platforms. There's also different ways to program these systems, but ultimately the, the end result is to be able to implement something that provides some advantage over classical computing, right? So, the phrase quantum supremacy gets thrown about. I think that's a bit too strong. I think quantum advantage, where can you save energy, time, money in solving a problem? Or how can you solve a problem actually that is impossible on a classical computer? What's your opinion of where we are in terms of human races trajectory towards that? I love this question. This is one of my favorite questions because benefit starts from asking yourself the question. And you ask yourself, you start the journey with, what is it? And we all know that recent developments have propelled quantum computing into tangible computing options. So once you ask what it is, and you asked me this question in 2016 or 2017 when we first started this, <laughs> um, implementing it for clients, it was education. We start off by educating ourselves on what this is. Platforms such as what you're doing is just paramount for those beginners. So then you go by asking the next five questions. How can it be used? What value could it have? Can it scale? Can we really transform industries and market? And what can we create or can we create new products in the market? Well, imagine this in a continuum. That continuum spreads over decades since we've initially started, right? If you'd asked me this thing in 2020, how can it be used? Did this using proof of concepts or proof of value, which gets me to what value could it have? This is the methodology that you want to apply. This is applied and realized 
back then and it is applied in real life today, where you go through these proof of concepts and value to try to understand what can be solved. Can it scale? Well, this too is researched through POCs and various pilots. Imagine solving a business problem that has a workflow. And this workflow is condensed into a lot of very NP-hard problems that you want to say you can solve these things today. The current size of the computers and its, well, the NISC era prevents it from being full-blown and scaled into production. However, you can work through architecturally a solution that could be quantum-inspired through, through digital annealers, for example. And there are a couple of examples that are out there that we can find out. The question of whether can we transform industries and markets, what's arguable? That would require you to be in production, scaled, and fully researched with a perfect system in place in this advantage. You've technically started to transform industries by asking, I'm solving these NP-hard problems. You're on a good path. Can we make it into new products in the market? It's the same thing. You got to have a scaled device and scaled solution in production that is managing billions of dollars. Not sure that we're there yet, but I think by asking these questions, you are creating the, the niche market where new products can be entered into the market, potentially. And to your point, there are several tools out there that can see this happen. To be agnostic at this stage is important. And companies like Strangeworks allow you to tap into all of these different devices, whether it's classical or if it's quantum-inspired or in, in this, this NISC era. Yeah, I think there's a whole different set of layers of what you call them orchestrators or hubs or something that allow you to use multiple different modality computers that are popping up. It's, it just goes to show how quick things develop at that level when in fact, at the back end, when it comes to the computation, there's still many hurdles that we have to jump over. I just picked up on a couple of words you said there. Continuum. I'm aware of, that's a favorite word of the Accenture, isn't it? There's the cloud <laughs> continuum, right? Which was a, a big go-to-market. Then there's the, I've seen that there's a metaverse continuum. Why isn't there a quantum continuum? Maybe maybe me calling this out will, put, will make you think, oh, yeah, I should be doing that. In which case, uh, I'd like you to give me all the credit for it in, uh, when you release the documents. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for helping me to change and create this another new business. I'm using continuum in a not as a noun, but more of a way to describe where it falls into the overarching continuum. <laughs> yeah, totally get it. Uh, so it's there, it's coming, and I think the business is growing and we very much love to be a part of everyone else's business to help them see that same thing in this continuum. Tell me, if, if, if we're still in the world of uh, possible and probable rather than proven out use cases, why are your clients investing now if there isn't a clear map ahead to that quantum advantage? I know, of course, every solution is different, every Customer is different, and I think we'll come on to a few use cases in a bit. Generally, why, why do you think customers are investing? It's important to identify the very specific use case you want to have, right? And I'm going to get into a typical consulting mode over here. Imagine yourself 
in a <laughs> in, in a typical sharpness, right? So in here you have multiple quadrants, and the quadrants is associated in the y-axis by what is the business value, and on the x-axis is what is the feasibility, where can it be done? There are technologies that have high business value today. And, and it's that same business value that I articulated that, that has the disruption potential or the potential revenue in, in the coming years. And you would have heard a lot of these things, right? So when we talk about what is feasible today that has a, that is feasible in terms of a research, right? So that's feasibility. Your feasibility is you have research, you've got proof of values, you've got a pilot, and then you've got scaled. That research element, you can already see business value in working on them, right? So you talk about these generative applications. You hear Gen AI come in every single way, shape, or form. Tapping into what you can do to make these devices better have incredible value in applying today's classical computations and techniques to advance quantum computing. You can also have very specific use cases, and there are very good examples of leveraging quantum random number generator for classical Monte Carlo use cases. There are examples out there where you can deploy that in production. I should be careful to say that it's not truly production, but it can be deployed in a scaled, permissible manner. You then have use cases that are highly scaled. Like you, you hear using technologies like digital annealers today in solving these very hard problems at the scale that we all think about. We started experimenting with that early on with BBVA, and we did three different use cases. It was around trading trajectories, portfolio optimization, and currency arbitrage. Back then, it was a huge challenge of what is latency? How can I solve for that? How can I reach that huge problem statement that I want to solve for? Technology has improved, as I said initially. It's ever-changing, and the potential exists today where you can't ignore it, and you're planning for it, and you're actually deploying a lot of these solutions as pilots. We have a couple of those examples of what could be a, a relevant pilot, like with, with the telecommunications industry, doing optimization problems, or in the, in the case of a digital annealer doing a similar optimization problem for a bank, or, or and, and the list goes on, right? I hope that answers the question. Yeah, listen, I, I love the fact you went straight to a two-by-two two matrix. That's perfect. Uh, <laughs> stereotypical <laughs> consultant. No, I love those things. And you can use them for so many different things, right? I'm familiar with the product uh, market um, diversification one, uh, uh, the leaders of visionaries, uh, the, the whole performance versus relevance, which I think is the one you were talking about, where, where really quantum, yes. where does that sit? Um, and yeah, I think the readiness point of it is... Um, it, it, is going to influence how important it becomes for people in time. So, uh, yeah, thanks for mentioning the, the BBVA uh, example. Um, are there any other customer references you'd like to talk about? I'd be interested to hear, um, even if you can't mention the names, just a view on the use case, the, the industry, the outcomes, those kind of things. Sure. It, it's a, I'll start with some of the more recent ones and work my way towards what happened in the past so you get an idea of 
how times have changed. We developed a business experiment use case with a large French insurer to compute their insurance portfolio based on some metrics. And one of the things that we achieved in this quantum advantage era is by formulating the problem with a quantum philosophy and executing it on real quantum-inspired hardware. Now, reinsurance is a practice whereby insurers transfer portions of their risk portfolios to other parties by some form of agreement, thereby reducing the likelihood of paying large obligations resulting from an insurance claim or multiple different insurance claims. And so one of the things that we did is we had data for simulated real-world events of these losses, the cost to these insurance portfolios. And so we wound up really optimizing one which was not done before. And by surely doing that, we were able to do something and prove that could it be run on a quantum computing device or a quantum-inspired hardware. And that was truly relevant and truly one of a kind. A, a, a somewhat just before that is by doing a record-breaking million-core simulation of PFAS, of the PFAS formulation. PFAS is otherwise known as the forever chemical, right? Per and polyfluoric acid substance. Right? Now, PFAS are artificial chemicals that are used in packaging, paint, etc., and they do not biodegrade, and they cause really detrimental health issues like cancer. Computational chemistry can speed up the R&D process for understanding how do I wind up breaking up this complex uh, model. And one of the things that we did is to accurately simulate this intractable problem and run it on, on a very high-powered HPC that we had to combine in AWS to solve for this IFCI um, so type of model in a custom HPC in AWS. And one of the things that we did is we did this because of a two-year collaboration that we had with ICHEC, Irish Center for High-End Computing, in PFAS chemistry. And we started doing this thing on a quantum computing device and understood what could happen and eventually worked our way through what could be a massively scale-up uh, using the good chemistry software to run this millions of vCPU cores in non-reserved resources of AWS. And the impact was just accurate energies for breaking this carbon-fluorine bond in, in the three PFAS molecules, resulting in really good scale and accuracy. And so this is something that's going to help the scientists study the PFAS destruction methods more. And it's essentially at the point where it's paving the way for on-demand cloud HPC as an affordable, scalable paradigm for scientific computing. So I'm giving you two examples, one in the area of finance, one in the area of chemistry, both to a certain degree simulations and optimization. If I were to touch on machine learning, the most common one that we talked about in machine learning is around fraud detection, right? It's a banking use case that's very important for the sector today because it shows whether a transaction is counterfeit or not. And so QML algorithms shows how to detect a fraud banking transaction based on a certain set of variables. And so we, we've tried it using multiple different methods, including a quantum support vector machine, which was used to foresee what are these true false transactions. It's like we said, it's very business-minded. So it's performance of the solution versus classical algorithms were 
interesting findings where we were able to get higher training accuracy, better inference confidence courses associated with it, and a definite reduction in false positives off of the data sets. And we did this using a data set that was available through the Spanish banking on one of the Spanish banks that we did. So I touched on simulations, mass optimization, and machine learning. And then I, it's, it's each of them, two of them with a bank, one from a chemistry standpoint. Please let me know if I need to touch on anything else. I'm happy to provide some insights. Yeah, that's fascinating. Thank you. I want to start with the chemical one, just truly because this is, well, totally foreign to me. I love the fact that you went from HPC and then to a quantum device of some kind. Oh, we started um, with quantum first. I'm sorry. I should have said that. We started quantum first and then went to HPC. So what drove that decision? Was it that you needed more computations that could be implemented on a quantum computer? or See, it's various different things. And I think they both hold promise today. And I we would say that it allowed us to learn exactly how to model the problem and reduce the appropriate problem size to solve it in a real-world quantum computing device and successfully solve it for a certain subset of the, the PFAS molecule. So it provided us insights and intel into what of those things could I run and up to how much. For instance, we could clearly simulate H2 molecule with four qubits, lithium hydrate with 12, H2O with 14, going all the way up to 46 qubits with uh, carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. I keep forgetting what that molecular structure is. But it was a rather complex molecular structure where we applied different techniques to solve for that very hard problem. And I think, I believe it was uh, methyl fluoride and uh, trifluoromethane, I think. Hey. I'll take your word for it. I'll just nod and say yes. Now, listen, so I suppose what you're not doing here is implementing, you're not computing on the qubits per se. You're using the Hamiltonian of the system to try and simulate a, a compound or the behavior of a compound. Is that right? You are trying to find out what is the appropriate energy that it's, as soon as I hit these specific energies uh, for how much I need that energy to break that molecular substance further. So it is a calculation. It's a series of it is a calculations which you made. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, what are some of the complexities in there? Right. You've got all the different positions. I know you're not a chemist, but maybe you can help, right? You've got all the different components of the molecule which carry their own energy and bonds which have their own energy. Is it a, a, as simple as a, a lowest band or a kind of optimization problem? to find out where the weakest point is, or I'm sure it's more complicated than that I, I, I wish. It was definitely more than that, and I am by no means a chemist, <laughs> but would love to have the opportunity to bring up a chemist who worked on this one to speak more about it. Okay, no worries. Okay, yeah, thanks for the use cases. It's, it's interesting to see two from the finance world. Uh, this is a, kind of the second time we've touched on quantum for finance in my podcast, and it looks like it's, I think the ROI, the monetization factors are going to be stronger in that domain in some senses, I think. So, and it's also very competitive, right? If you think back to it is. when the, the exchanges first start, started getting built and the connecting them up and trying to get lower latency and low latency, I see this as a it's kind of an analogy to that too. If you can 
it form is. the financial calculation a lot quicker than your competition, there's a chance you can uh, capitalize from that somehow, whether it be through arbitrage or just getting into a particular action before the competition, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And by the way, in, in 2019, and, and JP Morgan Chase, Marco Pistario and his team are doing a marvelous job with this. In you know, 2019, 2017, even, there were a lot of very basic examples on what could be run. And it went slowly to demonstrating a prototype for the quantum algorithm in a meaningful way, then getting into introduction of abstraction layers to allow for better performance and ease of experimentation. And now we are slowly pushing the boundaries of what a quantum computing machine can do today with the hopes that in the future, you're going to apply each one of these different things that I've learned on actually making it like do those billion dollar decisions, right? So in derivative pricing, just to give you an example, you start by understanding what is the, the Black-Scholes and quantum Monte Carlo formulations that are out there. And between 20, 2020 and 2023, you hear the different styles of options whether it's European style options or path dependent options. Then in the future, the hopefulness is I have path dependent options, exotic options with additional Greeks and risk and hedging. You tap additional currency arbitrage and fixed income derivatives and getting into American and decision based options and so forth, all in the, in the derivatives and options portion. QML and classification is the same thing. We did feature selection with a group of theoretical properties. The hopefulness is now I'm going to add larger data sets, add things like anti-money laundering, product recommender, forecasting financial crises for this QML space. And optimization with convex constraints with the hopefulness that you reach more realistic with complex non-convex constraints. I can go on, right? And chemistry and um, the pharmaceutical business is going through a very similar turn as well, where you start by searching through a large search space on what is molecular similarity, which is what we did with Biogen, to today trying to model complex molecules to understand them better, to make drugs more effective in some instances, or make it faster. Fascinating, Shreyas. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, earlier on, you mentioned uh, quantum communications, quantum sensing, and so on. Let's dig into a couple of those. And start with sensing. I think this is another field which yeah, it seems more and more I dig into, I realize that there's products either on the market or due to investments mm -hmm. through governments, governments and so on, there's technologies out there for timing and sensing which are coming. So what engagements have you had in the world of quantum sensing? Is this a field for you or not? We, we wrote a point of view on this one and we published it on a quantum communication standpoint. And I think there are a lot of use cases that are out there. If you think about it in terms of positioning, navigation and timing or medical ima imaging, radar, LIDAR, and some, some other astrophysics and astronomy based sensing metrologies, and I can go on. So there are a lot of use cases in those areas. And you want to be mindful of for each one of the different areas in, in quantum sensing that you have to be mindful of timing, rotation, temperature, acceleration, magnetic field, imaging, detection, and electric fields. That is good. And, and there are specific texts across each one of those things that shows 
how they're relevant for these specific use cases and where it's relevance and when that relevance is. Like you said, many of these things are today, right? If you if you look at um, you know the uh, the absolute gravimeter, that's I can see a lot of those use cases happen today and it's ready today. When you're talking about CSAS in terms of timing for all these different uh, use cases, you can see many of these things applicable today. But if you go down to the magnetic field for atoms across these different things, they're 10 years away. Or even detection on in any degree, whether it's superconducting nanowires, for example. It's not there today from that standpoint, at least not that I'm aware of. And it's, I don't know, maybe six to 10 years away. There, there are a few use cases that's there today, and we won't discuss any ongoing work in the space, but we can definitely say that we're interested in helping businesses build and manage their quantum networks. You mentioned detection using nanowires. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Is that a particular detection of what exactly? So when we talk about detection, so in those specific scenarios, you have geological imaging or uh, gravitational and magnetic field imaging associated to it. So like in, the, in, in, in terms of, say, oil and glass and mineral exploration or archaeology or seafloor mapping or in, in the case of, I think I said, around metrology as well, whether it's magnetic field calibration or quantum illumination, you're going to have to create these superconducting nanowires and the technologies associated to it to make the detection more um, active, so to speak. Uh, not to say there are other sensing portions of it around acceleration that can't do that today, but specifically around superconducting nanowires that uh, to do these sensing detection, it's not something that I've witnessed. Hmm. Yeah, that's definitely one for me to go and read up on. So what about quantum networking? This is the main focus of our, of our of this podcast series. I'm sure cryptography comes into your response, but if you could give us a broader view on other things like connectivity between quantum computers and any kind of conversations you're having with, with your customers on that front. Uh, yeah, give us a summary of, of what's happening when it comes to that domain. That must be more active for you at Accenture in terms of the questions your clients are asking and the support they need in preparing their networks and their systems. Yeah, absolutely. And, <laughs> you know, you hear this thing all the time around harvest now, decrypt later. And, and, and that's used as a mechanism in almost everything. The one thing that we are going to say is that we're definitely interested in helping businesses build and manage their quantum quantum networks. And, and anyone looking to create quantum networks for security or research needs the management capability on the top of the physical hardware. And for example, just as an example, that's where Alero comes in the software. Alero, Alero's controls, plain software comes in. It has a network simulator that can take in these existing fiber infrastructures, deployment details, and estimate how efficient communications will be over currently any available of those channels that's out there for them. And this enables planners to understand where to add infrastructure and to gain the most benefits. Okay, so let's talk a bit more of the quantum communications and networking piece, if that's all right. I just want to continue to talk about cryptography a bit. So what's the general trend in in Accenture among your clients when it comes to cryptography? Is it mostly that obviously there are, there'll be clients who are proactively making changes on their infrastructure. There'll be clients who are perhaps making a, a slightly more conservative strategy and kind of 
preparing rather than proactively pushing out Kyber and so on. Can you give me an idea on the trend? See, look, it, it starts off by we, we do things that's meaningful for our customers. And we know quantum is coming. 94% of these enterprises cite that quantum computing as a key security concern should be addressed. Now, off of our research that we did, about 50% of them, 51% of them, describe the risk function as at best only a somewhat effective <laughs> responding to these rapid changes. And we, we realize that these vulnerabilities, risk concerns, and data are exposed and threats exist. And we fully understand that industries or companies need to meet also the skill gap that exists inside of it, wind up understanding what those legacy tools are and securing those and figuring out what the cryptographic gaps are. And a lot of times that becomes a manual process, right? So if you were to think about this in terms like if you asked me before 2022, it was all about readiness. And then we all know post-2022 with standards that are coming about soon that NIST is creating. NIST report 8240 was out there to talk about what should be done. We are looking at it in terms of what are those crypto agility accelerators where the risk graph is basically scored based on a set of risk templates and alerts that are generated if the scores go above a certain threshold. And crypto agility accelerators are something that we are pushing forward to understanding quickly, update what is the cryptography across enterprises to meet these demands. And we think about it as why now, right? There are improvements to machine learning and crypto analysis that are being exposed today. Um, we know there are advanced persistent threats, APTs, you may encounter. And APTs is essentially uh, are collecting these encrypted data today with the hopefulness that they will decrypt it in the future. And of course, crypto agile businesses just need to quickly respond to these changes. Like I said, those 94% of those enterprises cite quantum computing as a key security concern. Only 51% of them say that the risk function actually is ready to respond to it. And, and those are some very daunting statistics. And I think bearing that in mind and being quick to, to react and to plan for this, that timeline is today, right? Where engineering of systems for practical quantum computers are coming about when it gets to 2025, 2027 and beyond, perhaps when these production systems are solving these problems, you'd want to think about how do I quickly prioritize and find out what those remediation activities are to implement remediation activities and track them going forward. Yeah, great point to bring it up to a risk conversation because I guess organizations have many different risks they have to tackle with. And but the risk management function there is to the function is to grade and kind of prioritize and so on. I guess it's quite difficult for risk managers to really you know when the, the risk could actually happen in terms of the current crypto standards that are used in, in organizations systems being vulnerable. So it's quite difficult. It's like a, it's a known unknown. And that makes it difficult for a risk manager to try and stack it up against operational risks, for example, which they have in their environment day to day. I 100% agree to that. And, and that's where a lot of what we've built so far, those sort of offerings, like whether it's what is your quantum readiness, which we talked about before, but in, in terms of security is one aspect, crypto agility, where you want to design and implement and maintain these crypto systems for quick adjustments if needed is also important. And to pull together, I'm going to go back to 
the, the matrix, the two by two matrix, right? <laughs> Where you have low to high of your security threat, short term, mid term, and long term. And to be able to articulate that again over the continuum, it's important. And to identify which of those things have a change in operational cost, which of those things have change in security level. So you can cover everything in terms of confidentiality, integrity, and authenticity to understand it more. And by the way, there are crypto agility toolkits and SDKs that are out there today, which we essentially take in, we take forward, try to apply. And we, we built ourselves multiple different assets around uh, readiness and transformation, crypto agility, scripts, and so on. And the foundations around it to, to make it simpler to understand and bring it up a level to these risk managers, so to speak, from a security standpoint. You mentioned Crypto Agility Accelerator. What is, what, is that a service that you, you, you guys offer to include assessment and preparedness and things like that? Or is it, is it more of a generic uh, term used in the industry? It's part of a series of offerings that we have. So we use accelerators where we have past research, past work that we have done lest it be with remediation scripts or quantum services that are associated with it, or reference architectures, the security capability journeys, and additional risk assessment components and scripts associated to that. All of those things are accelerators that we bring in to a specific delivery to do our job, basically, to make it easier. There are certain examples of how we have platform deployment, whether it's in Azure or AWS, instant scanning and assessment tools for recommendations or demonstrations and scripts that we bring in to make it a lot easier to do the the testing a lot of these come a lot of this comes down to um, putting the risk piece uh, to one side for a minute when it comes to the actual exercise of assessment and implementation or decision making in between then it's really just about data collection isn't it it's trying to get all of the the state of play of all of the crypto across the organization to then try and work out what could be crypto agile and what mm -hmm. can or cannot support next level algorithms. And there are tools in here as well, right? Like PQC libraries in, available in AWS and Azure. This is in post-quantum cryptographic world where, you know, you, you bring in some very critical data, like you just said as well as cryptographic methods that could be used today to implement these post-quantum cryptography for selected areas. And there, there are tools and softwares that are out there today that will help make that better. So let me ask you, what's next? Right. So you've described in fantastic uh, detail some of your experiences, <laughs> some of your engagements, the strategy of your organization. What's next for you, considering what's coming in the quantum market? Are you guys focused on any particular area in any way. Uh, of course, you'll be supporting customers in all industries any way that they need help. But have you got any particular focus maybe in the next 6, 12, 24 months or, or more? I, I think in the next six months, right? So we, we want to start to understand, we work with our clients, first of all, understand their problems and, and actually find ways to solve these things across every single industry. I think every industry is impacted today, as I said, and, and the potential disruption is seismic in nature. Like it's huge, it's seismically disruptive today. And so almost everybody is going to be impacted. And so my focus is to personally to grow and understand how our, how companies will make themselves both secure and function 
in their business standpoint better through these next-generation computing technologies, next-gen computing technologies across, let's it be quantum computing or neuromorphic or general-purpose matrix processing. Huge word. General-purpose matrix processing is basically your HPCs that we talk about. Neuromorphic as well, that's a good word. Yeah. I'll, I'll see if I can get <laughs> that into my, my, my bingo game tomorrow. these are just some of the things that we just want to focus in on to just bring the right value to all of our clients and so if they see value in doing this exercise through us we would be happy to help with them fantastic okay listen i think i'm going to wrap there so it's been a fantastic conversation i've learned a lot as as per usual thanks for bringing all that knowledge for us and take care for now I'd like to take this moment to thank you for listening to the podcast. Quantum networking is such a broad domain, especially considering the breadth of quantum physics and quantum computing, all as an undercurrent, easily to get sucked into. So much is still in the research realm, uh, which can make it really tough for a curious IT guy to know where to start. So hit subscribe or follow me on your podcast platform. And I'll do my best to bring you more prevalent topics in the world of quantum networking. Spread the word, it would really help us out.